Thank you, Jesus. We're no longer a slave to fear. Amen. Mom, you got anything you want to share? No. <laughs> no. All right. All right. Weldon and Richard, would you want to move the podium over here for Tatum? You know, I was thinking, I don't know if it was this afternoon or last night, I thought, when was the first time that I met Tatum? I remember, actually, I don't know what year it was that Rita, when you were Mary Kay, and you went to you went to their house. We went to their house out on the farm. What year was that? Well, they weren't they weren't here. <laughs> they weren't here yet. So, sixty eight. Well, I was only four. <laughs> See, wrong year. Okay, so we, I remember going out to the, uh, out to the farm whenever you were trying to talk to Rita about Mary Kay, but then I remember you guys coming to my mom's house, Tennille and Rita and Tatum came to the house and I was in Mary Kay then, so we were second generation Mary Kay by then, because I remember going to the parties with her and we did facials together. I was so scared because these beautiful girls. <laughs> oh, you're going to share. You got a story for that one. Oh, <laughs> so they came to the house and we did Mary Kay facials together. And that, and so you guys were in high school, right? You were guys were in high school. And then I remember whenever, um, the, it was, see, it was the year before you moved here and the year before I moved here, 1996, um, Tatum and I, she lived in the city, and we drove to Dumas, Texas together for the the women's retreat for Living Word Fellowship. That was a long ways out there. And uh, and then, lo and behold, the next year, her and Bryce and Cade moved here, and then, then I moved here, and then here we've been together ever since. So uh, it's been a... It's been a journey, hasn't it, over the last 18 years? And it's been a joy. She's been a great friend. And I love her like a sister. And we're uh, excited to do life together. So let's welcome Tatum to come and share the word of God. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be setting up my little video to go live on Facebook so you can't start yet, so you're gonna so okay. I should have already had it set up, but I'm trying to figure out this podium. I think we're gonna have to move it over here so I can, you know. Does that give you enough walking space back there? You can come forward. We'll we'll get it. We're girls, we'll get it where we want it. Okay, there we go. All right, so you add lib while I get well, I'll expand on the story of the Mary Kay thing. I remember I was in high school, and I probably probably was a sophomore, I'm thinking, and I was the biggest brat ever. I was so mad at my mom for making me go because I remember, I don't know how I remember this, but I do. It was my boyfriend's birthday, and she was making me go to get a facial. you think I would be excited about it, but I wanted to hang out with my boyfriend on his birthday. 
But my mom made me go get a facial, and I was, I know, I remember I had the worst attitude. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> Do you remember that, Danielle? I need more mascara. And I know, I was just so, I was like, you don't remember? I remember. It must have been bad if I remember. I still feel guilty about the attitude I had. <laughs> oh, to be young again. Yes. So she's still setting up. Well, I've been to many, 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 many Christmas banquets here. We came to church here when I was in high school. And I went to college for a couple years and came back. And Bryce and I were married and we had Cade. Cade was here, I think. He was a month old. He came to the Christmas banquet with me. I remember that. He's now 19 years old and in freshman in college. And I was really pregnant with Cole the last year. That would have been Christmas 2000. I was very pregnant with Cole. And so he came to the banquet that way. And then Chloe would have been, when she was born in 2002, the end of November, she would have been just, I remember bringing her. um, I probably still wore my maternity clothes because she was probably like less than a week old. But I remember she came as a baby in her car seat as well. And now we have Miss Ava. She hasn't been to one um, Christmas thing. But she wanted to come tonight because she said, I am a girl. I should be able to go. And I said, but you are only four and you have to be older. And she said, can I go when I'm 100? (laughs) I said, you sure can. So, (laughs) oh, Lord, I don't know. I got to keep out living. My pants are falling down. (laughs) Did you get that on Facebook? (laughs) Okay. Praise the Lord. I'm I'm really excited about this. I'm kind of nervous. I haven't spoken a long, long time, but I'm really excited. Um, Pastor Shelley, it was really strange, like, a week before, she asked me, I, for some reason, was thinking about Christmas banquet. It just popped into, popped into my mind. And I thought, oh, I wonder who Pastor Shelley is going to get to speak. And the Holy Spirit said, what if she asks you? And I was like, oh, what if she does? And I kind of got excited, like, yeah, that would be really fun. And then at the celebration we had for the Nelson family, she came up to me. She goes, I have a question for you would you like to speak at the women's banquet? And I was like, yes, I would love to. And then I was like, why did I say that? (laughs) No, I'm excited. I just, um, have had a lot stirring up on the inside of me. Um, God is amazing. And I just want you guys to know that, um, whatever I preach tonight, I'm preaching to myself. It's been things I've been walking through and God's really been dealing with me about. So I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. And if it works for you, then you grab a hold of it. Okay. I'm going to start out. I'm going to talk a little bit about the election. And don't worry. I, I'm not going to stand out long. It's not going to be a political speech. But many of you know, if you came to church, um, I know there's several of you here that I don't know. I should have said this. I, I, um, Married for, for over 20 years. 
Um, I got married really, really, really young. That's not an exaggeration. I was really young. <laughs> I was too young. We were too young to know better, but we did. And 20 years later, here we are with four children later. And um, anyway, I've been in this church m- most of my life. I was a freshman in high school when, we, when my, my parents brought us to Living Word Fellowship. So anyway, it's been a long time. So, But if, you, if you've been at church before the election, you knew, you know how passionate I was about God's agenda for our nation. And he just gripped my heart. I mean, literally gripped my heart like nothing I've ever felt before to pray for our nation. And I, I want to be really sensitive here because I know there's probably different opinions and, and I don't want to offend anyway. But if you get offended, then just rebuke the spirit of offense, okay? <laughs> and smile at me and know that I love you no matter what you believe. I love you no matter who you voted for. It's not about that. But I want you to know that something shifted in America on November 8th, the night, early morning of November 9th. I know it. I know that something shifted. And some people say that it's a bad thing. I'm just asking you to trust God and see what he does. Don't buy into what the media is saying. Don't buy into that this is an administration of hate and bigotry. Because I would have never voted for someone, and I just told you who I voted for. (laughs) But I would have never voted for someone had I not seen the hand of God. And that night, I, I had, and I haven't told anybody this except my mom, my mom and my husband. I fasted for three days. I haven't done that in years. But I had done everything else. I had prayed, and I had voted, and I had, you know, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And the only thing I hadn't done was fasted. And I, a man I followed named Lou Engel, he was really in, it's his life mission to end abortion in America. And he called Esther fast. I was like, oh, dear God, I really, really, really hate to be hungry. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. But I, but I was committed to it. Anyway, I'm not saying that to brag or boast or anything like that. But I'm just telling you that how God had gripped my heart. And so what we witnessed that night was a modern-day Bible story. I, I, I don't. My husband is a state senator, okay? So I have a little bit of experience in politics. And what Donald Trump and his team did, I mean, it was nothing short of a miracle because he came against a political establishment. You guys, is rooted and grounded. I, I don't even know. It's huge, huge, okay? And the establishment of the media. And it was defeated. You guys, it is a modern day Bible story. That's the only way I could describe it. It's like Gideon's army, a tiny little bitty army, someone who thought was crazy. I mean, he, Donald Trump's crazy. He said this craziest stuff, the most offensive stuff. And I'm like, God, what in the heck are you doing? (laughs) You know, but I, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I promised you I wouldn't, but I'm saying all this. I promise this segues into my mission, my message. It was the biggest political storm probably that any of, any of us will ever see in our lifetime. Confusion, anger, just spewing out every way. I mean, the body of Christ was in, in 
turmoil. We were disagreement. I mean, some I would read a blog from one leader that say, you know, I'm voting this way. And the other would say, well, how could you vote that way? And it was just craziness. Am I, I mean, anybody else see that? It was craziness. It was a storm, a massive storm. But I tell you what, I got on my knees and I said, God, I want to hear your voice on this. I don't want to listen to see, I don't want, I mean, yes, we are to, to seek godly counsel, but I mean, no one was agreeing on this. And when in those times of life, we have to get a word from God and when we get a word from God, it doesn't matter the voices that are shouting around us. It doesn't matter what they're saying because we know we've heard from God. We know we lay our soulish nature down and say, no, I know I heard from God on this. And let me tell you, this is the first thing that I have really, really, really prayed for since I prayed for Eden's healing. And let me tell you, no, I mean, oh, I mean to cry. And we, you know, many of you don't know this. Some of you, most of you do, but, but Eden was my niece, my sister, my, um, her daughter, Eve, and my beautiful daughter, Chloe. It's at that table. Tanil's daughter was diagnosed with uh, cancer six years ago. She died six years ago this Christmas. And I prayed, I fasted, I prayed for her healing. And it did not manifest on earth. And so when I, when God gripped my heart for, to pray for this election and to pray for America, I wasn't praying for a certain candidate. I was praying for God's agenda to move, for God to shift America, to, for God's will to be done on America. I want to make that very clear. I prayed for his will. I prayed for both candidates. I prayed for, for, for things to be exposed. And guess what? Things were exposed for both candidates. I didn't pray for one candidate over the other. I prayed for God's will to be done. I prayed against the spirit of Jezebel. I prayed for a spirit of Elijah to rise up in our nation. But let me tell you, the enemy kept saying, well, guess what? Your prayers certainly couldn't save your niece. What makes you think your prayers are doing any good? And so it was, it was a personal struggle for me because I was like, I had to fight that those lies from the enemy. I had to fight them and I had to come against the spirit of doubt because, and, and my husband Bryce, I would not let anyone in my household speak negatively about the election. Like, Oh, well, it's, you know, wrong person's going to win or blah, blah, blah. I would be like, hush up. Don't speak that in the name of Jesus. I, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, don't bring the election up around mom. And Bryce said, Tatum, you have got to prepare yourself that this may not go the way that you want it to. And I, I thought of that because I had a big faith wreck after Eden died. Huge faith wreck. I doubted God and his word. And I thought, you know, but God did something on the inside of me. And I remember saying to him one day in prayer, it doesn't matter what I said. I said, Lord, it does not matter the outcome of this election. I am never going to be the same. And I truly believe that. So anyway, what my, what I'm getting at is that 
God's ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. He is not limited to things that our minds can figure out. He's not limited to our human minds. The election was chaos. Both sides look evil. So much negativity. It was a political storm of the century. There was so much confusion. And how many of you have gone through things like that in your own life? Where it's just like, you don't, you don't know what's going on. It's just confusion. You can't, you, just so much negativity, so many battles going on. What if during that time, we stopped and we shut everything down and we said, God, said, God what are you saying? What is your spirit saying? What is your agenda? Because I want your agenda. I want what you want. I want to go where you want to go. I want to hear your voice. Because when you hear God's voice on something, it doesn't matter what your family is saying. It doesn't matter what your bank account says. It doesn't matter. You've heard God's voice on it. You've heard it. And so that should settle it. So this message is about laying down our soulish natures and living out of our spirits. Because in the natural, the election looked like God could not be in the middle of this at all. But if you look at it in your soulish nature, neither candidate was fit to be president. Am I right? But God, you know, a lot of times we say, well, who's the most godly? We want the most godly in office. And I'm totally for that. I think we need godly men and women. But you know what? That's a soulish question because that's something we can look at and figure out. You know what we really need to be asking or we should have asked? Some, Some people did. Who is the most anointed for the task? Who has God chosen? And I, I have in my notes here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on. <laughs> so I want to encourage you, you know, our souls, God gave us our souls. They're not bad, but they are not meant. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Emotions are fabulous things. They make life fun. Can you imagine life without happiness? Or without oh, romantic feelings towards your husband. And then he rolls over and has terrible breath. And you're like, what the heck? Who did I marry? You know? <laughs> no, I've never done that in 20 years of marriage. What am I talking about? <laughs> so, no, our souls are not. I'm not. When I, I'm not asking you not to feel. I want you to feel. I want you to feel life. Feel passionately. Love passionately. Man, feel life. But don't let your soul control you. You know, I read a statement um, by Bill Johnson recently. It says, God is in charge, but he is not in control. How many times... And I've said it. Well, something didn't work out. Well, God is in control. God is in control. So, you know, I mean, we've, we've all said it. But the, tr- the fact of the matter, the truth is, 
God is in charge. Yes, he is God creator. He is in charge of the entire universe, but he has left control to us. He has given us dominion. He has left control on earth. So that gives us responsibility. If, if God was in control, then Hitler and all of the Holocaust, we, we would have to say, well, that was God's will. Think about it. If God was in control, nothing on earth would happen without his, him doing it because he is in control of all of us. Let me tell you, Hitler was not God's will. Cancer is not God's will. So God is not in control. He is in charge and he can step on the scene whenever he wants to. But he designed it a system where we invite him to come and move through us. We invite him through prayer. To, and, and it's a partnership. We get to demonstrate and manifest the dominion of God in the earth. He comes at our invitation because he has given dominion to us. That's why prayer is so essential. I'd be like Pastor Virginia. Your mouth does get so dry up here. It's like, okay. So when we, we figure out, what, okay, we are in control, that gives us responsibility. And that doesn't mean that we get condemned or shamed when tragedy strikes. But we have to take some ownership and say, not on my watch. Not on my watch is this going to happen in in our nation. Not on my watch is this going to happen in our schools. It gives us ownership and gives us responsibility. So our souls and our spirits are very connected. And that's why... It's so important that we are led by the spirit and not our soulish natures. Our souls are not bad, but they should not control us. And let me tell you, as a woman. Now, I'm going to share a story. And I asked my daughter for permission to share this. Because I want to show you that I'm preaching to myself. I'm going to be very transparent. A few weeks ago, my daughter, Chloe, she's 14. She just turned 14. And she had cheer pictures. They had her cheer. She's a middle school cheerleader. And she was supposed to be at the photography studio at 6 o'clock. And so she gets out of basketball about 5. And I was like, we have to hurry. You got to be there at 6, you know. And so long story short, 530, I went in there. She had like four hair pieces curled and I was like it's 5 30 we have to be there in 30 minutes I know mom I know and my blood was starting to boil <laughs> I went back in there at 5 45 and she had well she had probably about four or five more hair pieces curled <laughs> and so I grab her makeup and I start slapping it on her face and I'm like we have to be there at six o'clock and then before we know it She's melting down and I'm melting down and she's crying and I'm screaming and going, you know, well, here's the thing. She's a 14 year old girl. She's learning how to control her body and in the hormones that are going on. She acted like a 14 year old girl, totally acceptable because she's 14. Well, guess what? I'm not a 14 year old girl. I'm a 39-year-old woman, 
And I acted like a 14-year-old girl. Well, it gets worse. So about two weeks later, we have family pictures. Have you ever taken family pictures? Do you know how stressful family pictures are when you have four children? Two teenage boys, one who I had to bribe home from college because he was upset. You know, I had to bribe him with, I don't remember, money. I'll pay you to come home. We have to have family pictures. No, it wasn't that bad. He was happy to come home. But, you know, so family pictures are at 2.45. I said, Chloe, we need to leave at 2.30. Well, same song, second verse. No one's ready. I'm screaming. Chloe's crying. Everyone's mad at mom. What is your problem, mom? Every time we have family pictures, you just turn into a maniac. You just like, you know, and so we go in the car. We, we smile at family pictures. <laughs> oh, we love each other so much. Once again, my soul got very upset with my family because they weren't ready on time. And, and, you know, I just lost my mind. So preparing this message and the devil's like, well, who do you think you are talking to them about controlling your soul? Look at the control you have over your soul. What a hypocrite you are. So like I said, I'm preaching to myself. Because I want to react from my spirit. And I'm not telling you that we're always going to, we're never going to raise our voice. We're never going to get upset with our kids. I mean, that's, I mean, Lord, parenting is hard. But come on, I should not be acting like my 14-year-old daughter. I had the perfect prime uh, opportunity to show her how to Calm yourself and react with the fruits of the Spirit rather than your flesh. He wants to scream and strangle everybody. Right? (laughs) So, the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit. Joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Cutting between soul and spirit. Do you know your soul and your spirit are so closely. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish which is your soul and which is your spirit. Have you ever had that problem? God, I really feel like this is you, but I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's my flesh. Maybe it's my soul. Well... I was meditating on the scripture for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, the sharpest two edged sword. And it cuts between soul and spirit. It divides us where we end and God begins. That's what the word of God does. It shows us this is Tatum. This is God. If we let the word of God cut us, it exposes, hmm, that's me. That's my thoughts. But look over here. God's thoughts are higher. God's ways are higher. 
Tatum's way, God's way. God wants to cut us open with his word. He wants to divide our souls and our spirit with his word, exposing our desires and thoughts by highlighting his in comparison. He's not trying to expose you to say, well, look at you and how you fail and all your weaknesses. No, he wants to highlight him and say, look at the better way I have provided for you. Do you think that if I would have reacted out of my spirit with my awesome family, that maybe we would have gone and had peaceful family pictures and that no one would have been mad at me? <laughs> would have been a much better way. You know, sometimes our souls will line up with our spirits. It's a process, right? The word of God says, um, renewing your mind, right? It's a process of renewing our mind. If we let his word expose those things, God's word will cut us open and show us what parts of our soul, what parts of our belief systems are still damaged and do not line up with what God is saying. What part of your soul still needs restored and renewed? So Romans 12, 2 says, now I am going to be reading a lot of these scriptures out of the passion translation. It's like a brand new translation. Um, Brian and Jen Johnson, I know they're worship leaders out of Bethel and I follow them a lot on social media and they're, they're always posting these scriptures out of the passion translation. And it was just like gripping my heart. I just loved it. So got online. You can't even buy it like a whole book, a whole Bible. You have to buy it in books. Cause I think the guy, but I read a lot about it. I studied it and, um, I feel totally confident in sharing you the, the, the passion translation. Romans 12, two, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. This is the scripture that says, do not be transformed to the world. Okay. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Think about that. Okay, so we live in a crazy, crazy technology world. Social media is like, I mean, it's life. I mean, it's just like get on social media, check the news. You get on social media, check the weather. You get on social media, see what your neighbor is doing. You get on social media to see why, you know, anything. You can get the answers to anything on social media. But I believe it's really feeding our soul frenzy. I mean, because think about it. I mean, an election was prime example. People will say anything on social media, things that they would not say to your face because they feel protected behind this little screen. I would never say this to this person to their face, but I'm going to bash them on social media. I've been bashed on social media. My husband's been bashed on social media. I mean, it's just part of it. It's not fun, but it is feeding our frenzy. People are, man, I want to share my opinion. I've got to get my opinion out there, you know, and more people are complaining and spreading negativity. People are looking for validation through social media. 
How many likes did my picture get? Well, her picture got 150 likes. My picture only got 50 likes. Well, you know, I mean, it's big. And some of you may not, if you don't have teenagers or, you know, it is big. I'm telling you, social media is their life. Okay. I have a 19 year old, almost 16 year old and a 14 year old. It's my brain is like fried trying to monitor social media. I mean, it's crazy, but kids, I mean, I'm the girls, that's how they get their validation. I mean, how they take a hundred selfies to get the perfect one to post. And then they check every few seconds to see how many likes they have. I'm not exaggerating. It happens. Adults. I've known, I know adults do the same thing. I've seen grown women post selfies. There's nothing wrong with posting a selfie. If you can take beautiful selfies of yourself, please post them and tell me how to do it. Because I have yet to ever take a selfie of myself and think, dang, I look good. (laughs) I don't think that the iPhone camera likes me because I don't ever take good selfies. But you know what? God, he validated us from the very beginning. We shouldn't have to be searching for validation. And I want to solve this dilemma once and for all. Are you ready? If you've ever felt like you're not worthy, you're not validated. Okay, so Adam, and we're going to go back to the beginning. Lord, time is flying by. Okay, so Adam and Eve. God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the amplified, amplified version, by the way. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And he validated it completely. Okay, so long time ago, and I don't remember who it was, and I wish I did because it would give me more credibility, but can't think of it. Maybe Pastor Shelley remind me. Someone was speaking at our church. I think it was our church. Don't remember for sure. <laughs> this is real credible, isn't it? <laughs> no, he's talking about Adam and Eve and how God had deposited the DNA for all of mankind into Adam and Eve. Every human that would ever walk the face of the earth, Adam and Eve had their DNA. Think about it. It's, I mean, it has to be right. And I, I researched it, and I found some other articles that back it up because I thought, am I dreaming this up? Or is this, is this you know, I don't want to get up there and say something crazy. But Adam and Eve were the beginning of all humankind. He deposited my DNA, Debbie's DNA, Jade's DNA was in Adam and Eve. I mean, this is probably, I don't, I mean, okay, that's why you could have a baby with your brother and not have a deformed child because the DNA, I mean, think about it. The DNA was so, I mean, there was so much DNA in them that that's how they created, that's how they created the human race, right? So God, when he created Adam and Eve, he was looking at the entire human population that would ever walk the face of this earth. Every single one of you in this room, 
And every single one of your kids, your grandkids, every child that will come after you and your family. And he saw everything that he had made. And behold, he said, it was very good. And he validated it completely. I want you to stop and think about that. At the very beginning of creation, God looked down and he saw you. He knows the end from the beginning. He saw you in your mistakes, in your messes, in your mess ups. And he said, behold, it is very good. And he spoke validation over you thousands of years before you were even on the earth. God's words have been roaming around the universe saying, Jade is very good. Annette is very good. For thousands of years, your validation from the creator of the universe. That is amazing. I mean, I don't know if that excites you, but it excites me. Because I've always said, well, God was looking at Adam and Eve. He was looking at the tiger and the lion. He's like, it's very good. He was looking at the bigger picture, which involves you. God spoke over you from the very beginning of time and said, you are worthy. Now, let me tell you something. When God says something, it trumps anything anyone else could ever say. God established your worthiness thousands of years before you even entered this earthly realm. He declared you as good. I don't care what your parents said over you. I don't care what teachers have said over you. I don't care what you've said over yourself. Because most of us have probably been harder on ourselves than anyone else in our life has been. God's validation of you trumps any and all disapproval of you by man. So when our soul goes looking for validation, step over in your spirit. God, you validated me thousands of years ago. I am worthy. I am validated. He spoke over my life and said, I am good. Amen? Okay. So got a lot of notes here. How long do you guys want to stay? (laughs) So all it takes is one word from God. One word from God. And if you grab a hold of that word, it just takes one word from God and responding to that word to make a difference. You know, God wants to use you every single day. He wants to use you every day, today, tomorrow, the next day. How many of you, if you've been like me, well, I'm waiting for me to get all my ducks in a row. And then I will let God use me. I will. Then God will want to use me. I'm waiting for my needs to be met. I'm waiting for me to get my act together. I'm waiting for my marriage to be perfect. I'm waiting for my kids to get out of diapers or whatever you're in. But the fact of the matter is, no matter what kind of mess you're in, no matter what kind of trial you're in, no matter what kind of storm you're in, 
God is ready to deposit a word into you that will cause, he wants to use you. And if we will react from our spirits rather than our souls, I want to challenge you. We, it is time to get over our souls. It is time. The time is now. I mean, women will always, our souls are just big old boogers now. Well, I want to give you some examples of some people in the Bible that their life, they were in really bad places, but they got a word from God and they had a choice to react from their soul or their spirit. And I just want to show you what happens when we will react with our spirits and live out of our spirits. Okay. The first one is Rahab. It's in Joshua chapter two. I'm not going to read all of it, but okay. The Lord had commanded Joshua and the army to go and take the city of Jericho. He was surrounded by a huge wall. So Joshua sent two spies in to check the city out. And the Lord directed them to the house of Rahab. By the way, Rahab was a prostitute. Okay. So the king came to Rahab, the king of Jericho. He said, I heard that there's two spies are sent to your house. Well, Rahab hid them, protected them, and helped them escape. And this is what she said. This is what Rahab said. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. And she said, I know the Lord has given you this land. I know. She knew. She was a prostitute sinner. Okay? She was a sinner. She was, she was not an Israelite. Okay? But she had a revelation. She had a revelation that said, God has given this land to his people. Okay, so the rest of her people were, and, and she, it goes on, and, and she tells him how scared her, the, the people in that city were. They were trembling in fear. But the rest of her people wanted to kill the Israelites. They, that's how they wanted to solve the problem is they want our land. We're scared. Well, we're going to kill them first. Well, Rahab, she had a word from God that said, I know God has given you this land. Okay, she was not a godly woman seeking God's face. Do you get that? She was a sinner living in sin. She was a prostitute. But still, she had a revelation from God. And she reacted out of her spirit that she probably didn't even know she had. But she chose to listen to the revelation from God. And guess what? She helped the Israelites overtake the city. And she and her family were saved. So when we react out of our spirits, I mean, deliverance comes to everyone. How amazing is that? She could have reacted from her fear. She could have turned them over to the king. when the king of Jericho said, give me these spies. I mean, she was putting her life on the line. But she chose to live out of the revelation that God had given her. God had already given them that land. Hey, I'm on God's side, she decided. I'm living out of my spirit, not my soul. So God saved her. He helped, she helped them 
Okay, so let's go to, well, I want to say this. I don't care if you've been living like hell on earth. I don't care if you've been living in the biggest sin. God still wants to use you. Did you hear that? God still, if God wants to use a prostitute, I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care what you're still doing in your life. God says, says he has a word for you. He has a revelation for you. And if you will react to that revelation, you will respond out of your spirit. God has amazing things for you. Your very life could be saved. So then there's the widow woman who fed Elijah. First Kings 17, 8 through 16 said, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went. And as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little cup, little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. Then my son and I will die. But Elijah goes on to says, that's fine. That's your plan to cook and die. But please give me the bread first. And then you may eat of yours. But then he goes on to say, if you'll do this, you and your son will never run out of flour and oil. And I'm paraphrasing to try to speed things up. So here is a widow. Now, let me ask you this. Does this statement, I, um, I was gathering to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. Is that sound like a statement of a lot of faith and a lot of hope? Her plan was to eat their last meal and die. She wasn't even looking to God for a word. She wasn't even like, God, this is my last meal. Uh, help. She, didn't, she wasn't even asking God for help. She wasn't asking God for a word. She, her plan was to eat and die. Terrific plan. Right? That's all she knew. That was her soul. I can't figure it out. I'm going to eat this meal. At least we'll die with food in our bellies. That's what she was thinking. But God had a word for her. If you will give me bread first, you and your son will never run out of flour and oil. And guess what? They never did because she responded to that word. Her spirit leapt and said, what do I have to lose? wasn't a hard choice to me, you know? I mean, you either, you either eat your last meal and die or you give some to the other person and still die maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but she responded out of her spirit. She wasn't looking for a word, but God sent her a word. And she responded out of her spirit and they were sustained because she responded from her spirit and not her soul. And she met the needs of Elijah. So not only was she saved, but once again, she saved someone else, just like Rahab. Okay, so now 
we go to Joseph, who had a pretty terrible run for a while. And most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the story of Joseph. He had many brothers. He was his father's favorite. He was the youngest. And he had a dream from God that he was going to be ruler over all of his brothers. Well, in his youth and ignorance, he decided to share that with his brothers. And, of course, they didn't take it very well. And so they threw him into a pit. Then they slaved him, sold him to um, the Egyptians. So his life, and then he ends up being falsely accused of rape by his, basically his boss's wife. And uh, he gets thrown into the prison. And now prison back then was like a dungeon, like a hole underground. I mean, it was like they didn't even have, they couldn't even stand up from, from some of the things I've read. So it's not like he had a, a bed to lay in. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible place. And when you get sent there, it wasn't like you serve your time and then you get released. You were there until they decided to execute you or until you died there. So there was no like, ooh, I've served my year, I'm out. So he was sent to prison. Pretty, pretty bleak situation, if you, I mean, do you agree? Pretty, pretty depressing. So they were in the prison, and it says, While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night. Now, this cupbearer and baker were in the prison with Joseph. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. And Joseph said, interpreting dreams is God's business. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Okay, so here we have a man who thought he was going to be ruler someday, and he's found himself in the dungeon, dark, dark, dreary hole where he doesn't know if he'll ever get out. He possibly could die there. And he wakes up one morning and notices the prisoner next to him is upset. Hmm. I just want, I ask this about myself. If I was in his situation, would I be wallowing in self-pity? Probably so. Would I be, oh, I'm going to die here? Would I be worried about other people's problems? But Joseph was. He looked over, and instead of wallowing in his own misery and thinking about himself and feeling sorry for himself, he looked over and noticed that this person, this prisoner was in distress, and he said, how can I help you? How can I minister to you? And he interpreted the guy's dreams. They ended up being correct. Those guys got out of prison, and there Joseph was in prison. So it didn't look like he had done any good. He helped that person, but there he was. But time went on and Pharaoh had a dream. No one could interpret it. And then the cupbearer, oh yeah, there's a guy in prison. He interpreted my dream. He was really good at it. Maybe we should get him out, ask him about it. So they did. Of course, we know the story. Joseph interpreted the dream correctly about the seven years of prosperity and the seven years of famine. And He got released and got placed second in command over all of Egypt. But it never would have happened 
if he would have been stuck in his soul down in the prison and worried about himself, had he not responded out of his spirit, he would have never been released from prison because no one would have known that he could interpret dreams. So not only did him responding from his spirit deliver someone else, it delivered him. Do you see a pattern here? When you, del- when you respond from your spirit, when you let God you, use you to help someone else, well, it might just bring deliverance to you. Wow. That is amazing. Okay. The very act of helping someone else may be the very thing it takes to bring about your deliverance. Many people don't know this about me, but I have battled depression a lot over my life, adult life. And I've gotten really good at covering up. But there are times where it is hard. And if you if you've ever suffered from depression, then um, you you understand. If you haven't, just thank your lucky stars, not your lucky stars. Thank your Savior, God's grace, because it's not fun. And I, I've never gone on medication for it. There is absolutely no shame in getting on medication. I want to make that very clear. Okay, if you need medication and you feel like that, that that's the direction God has told you, then by all means. But I did not f- want to take medication because I'm stubborn. I don't like taking medicine. But I was all really close several times in my life. I was really, really close. Like, my, my marriage might not survive if I don't get some help. Or I'm never going to, you know. Well, I mean, I battle it with, I fight it with exercise and diet. I mean, the gym is like my antidepressant. I know if I haven't been to the gym in a week, I can feel it coming on. But I was tired of battling it. I'm like, God, this is not of you. You know what I found? When I focus on myself and all, oh, everything I have to work on in me and all the yuckiness inside of me and all my insecurities, oh, depression just gets on me so bad. But when I look, who can I help today? God, how can you use me today? And it's just little things. One day I was having a really, really down day. And I went to the, to the quick stop. I went in to get something to drink. And there was a lady there. And she dumped out a cup of change to put $5 of gas in her car. I'm, I'm talking not quarters, but nickels, dimes, pennies to put $5 in her SUV that I knew was going get, to get her gallon and a half, maybe two gallons of gas, which in an SUV is like going to Walmart and back, you know? And I was sitting there all thinking about how miserable I was. And I saw that and I thought, dear Jesus. And I whipped out my billfold and I put money on the counter and I said, put that because she had came in to pay you know in advance i want i need five dollars on pump two and i laid out cash and i said put that on there and that lady you would have thought 
I gave her a million dollar check. It was a $20 bill. But that did something to me that day. I thought, God, that felt really good. $20, that's not a lot. But she, she hugged me and she thanked me. And she's like, I mean, we have been doing everything we can to get gas in our car to go get our son to and from school. And then, I mean, it just broke me wide open because I thought, here I am thinking about all the problems in my life. And I've never had to dump out a cup of change to put gas in my car. I've gone through some bad stuff, but I've never had to do that. And from that day on, I thought, you know what? I'm going to focus on what I can do for everyone else. And you know what? I have noticed a big victory over my battle with depression. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's never going to come back and try because I'm sure it will. But I think that God gave me strategy on how to overcome that. When we get out of our soulish nature and we respond with our spirit, God uses us to help someone else and he brings deliverance to us at the very same time. But it's when we stay in our soulish nature that life may not get better for us because God's waiting for us just to step over into his word that he's given us, that revelation, and to respond to that. Bam, deliverance can come. I'm almost done. Queen Esther. I love the story. If you've ever been, I'm sure it's been preached at every woman's meeting for hundreds of years, but I'm still going to talk about it. We know that she was an orphan, okay? She wasn't, she was a, the Jews, the Jews were all scattered throughout the Persian empire. Okay. So the Jew, the king was tricked by one of his officials, Haman, that said, kill we need to wipe out the Jews. We need to wipe out, wipe them out. Well, Queen Esther was made queen, and she had a lot of favor with the king. So Mordecai, her adoptive father, was his her cousin that adopted her. She was an orphan. Her parents had died. He went to her and said, "Look, you're a queen. You got to do something about this. <laughs> We're all going to die." But back then, if you went before the king without being called, you were going to be put to death. And, you know, sometimes we hear these Bible stories and and we've heard them for so long and we kind of put these Bible characters up on this pedestal and make them kind of like semi-gods. Well, guess what? They were human flesh just like you and me. They went through the same thing. I mean, it'd be like me walking to the barging into the Oval Office saying, I got to talk to you, President Obama. You think they're going to let me in very far? Back then, if, if they went before the king without being called, they were put to death. And she said, Mordecai, I haven't been called to the king for over 30 days. I mean, you know what he said to her? I'm going to tell you as soon as I find it. <laughs> Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. 
don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at this time, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And I've read that statement. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. And that statement was like, and I thought, God, I do not want you to have to raise up someone else to do the job that you called me to do because I can't get out of my soul. That I can't overcome a fear of man. I can't overcome my insecurity. So you're going to have to raise up someone else to do the job that you've called me to do. Because let me tell you, God was going to make sure that his people were delivered. You hear me? If Queen Esther would have decided, well, I can't do that. If her fear would, if she wouldn't have been able to overcome her fear, God would have, he had plan B, guarantee you, guarantee you, he had plan B, C, D, he was going to find someone to deliver his people. But how many of you want God to raise up someone else to do the job that he wants you to do because you can't get out of your soul? You can't overcome your fears. Not me. Not me, God. I don't want that. So Esther did not wait for the king to call her. She went before the king. And we all know what happened. The king granted her request. The Jews were saved. Her life was saved. You know, if she would have decided she was too scared, probably she and her family would have been wiped out. But God would have delivered the other Jews. But because she overcame fear, tell me, that was scary, guys. I'm not, this, I want you to put yourself in those shoes. Her life literally was on the line. It's not just a story. It's not just fiction. It happened. She put her life on the line for God's people to be delivered. She overcame fear. She walked out and said, I don't care if I die. I'm going to see the king. And God brought deliverance for her and her entire people. So we go back to Rahab, a sinner used by God because she had a word from God. The widow woman who had nothing, she had no faith, she had no plan, she had no hope, no provision. She had nothing except a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. God used her because she had a word from God and said, feed Feed, feed my servant first. And then a man whose life was filled with unfair treatment. He had every reason to be offended and bitter towards everyone in his life. He had every reason to be. But he chose to respond out of his spirit. And God used him to bring deliverance to an entire nation and to his family. And then Esther, in her most fearful moment, she was an orphan who became queen God used her when she responded out of her spirit. 
So I want to say in the middle of your sin, if you will grab a hold of the word of God, he will use you. And very likely he will deliver you when you help someone else. In your greatest time of need, he wants to use you to meet the need of someone else. In your most hopeless moment, when you are in the pit and you feel like you have been in the dungeon and you're never getting out, guess what? He has a word for you and he wants to use you if you will respond with your spirit. And in your most fearful moment, he wants you to respond with your spirit, not with your soul who's scared, scared to death. Respond with your spirit and let God bring deliverance to you and to someone else. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. It's time, guys. It's time. It's time we stop wallowing in ourselves. And when I say this, I don't want you to focus on you and think of all the stuff that you're doing wrong and all, all this stuff in your soul that you got to work on. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. That's not the point of my message. Soul says me, myself, I, look at me, look at me, look at me. What can I do? You know, how can you help me, God? I'm asking you to take your eyes off of yourself and look with your spirit to our great and heavenly loving father. Take your eyes off of yourself. Mm. How many of you, I was talking about Pastor Jerry's chocolate cake. It's awesome. I didn't eat any yet. I threatened those men. You better save me a piece of that chocolate cake. <laughs> How have you ever been on a diet? And you go, okay, I can't have sugar. I can't have pop. I can't have white bread. I can't have this, that, that. And that's all you think about is how you can't have that piece of chocolate cake. Well, what happens? You want that chocolate cake so bad. <laughs> the cravings seem to intensify when you tell yourself you can't have it. Am I wrong? <laughs> so when we focus on our souls, a lot of times we, f- we, don't, we focus on our souls not out of, I mean, because we want to be better. So I'm looking at my soul. I'm thinking, oh, I got to get th- rid of this little bit of jealousy. And I got to get rid of that. And, oh, Lord, I feel offended. And I'm just. Uh. So we're, work- we're looking at our souls to work on ourselves, And God is saying, hello, come over here. Focus on me. And my spirit, and it's all going to be okay. Yes. You guys hear what I'm saying? God wants to use you wherever you are at. Guys, there are a lot of people out there who need you to buy them a Coke. I mean, it could be little. Buy them, buy them their meal when you go through the drive-thru. Tell them when you're checking out at Walmart and these cashiers, dear Jesus, bless their souls at this time of year when people are Christmas shopping and stressed and, and they're griping because she's not bagging their stuff fast enough. Speak a word of encouragement to them. Listen with your spirit. Don't get caught up in, in your soulish nature and think about how long you've had to wait in line and, oh, my gosh, this person's taking forever. And, oh, now, now they, their, their checkbook's not working. And, you know, and you sit there and, oh, great. You know, when you're standing in line, look around. Hmm. God, 
I'm here in this line, and I'm not. I'm for. I'm here for 20 minutes. So use me. I got 20 minutes. And ask him what. What can you do right there? Instead of focusing on all the stuff that's going wrong in your day. How long have I been talking for? <laughs> Time flies. I'm telling you. Wow. Okay. Last scripture. Romans 8, 14 through 16. And I skipped a lot, guys. I was going to read a bunch about the fruits of the Spirit, but God just told me to skip over that. Cause anyway. Romans 8, 14 through 16. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you, okay, I'm going to skip down. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. The mature children of God are those and only those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. You know, I expect more out of my 19-year-old than I do my 4-year-old. Is that fair? God expects more out of Pastor Virginia than he does someone who's recently given her life to Christ. Would you assume that's so? So we're not all mature sons. We don't become mature sons at once. So I don't want you to be overwhelmed by this message. But every time you respond out of your spirit rather than your soul, you're one step closer to be in that mature son. I mean, my four-year-old, she can wear me down. She wants her way, and she demands her way, and she will not give up without a fight. I tell you what, it's a good thing, and I got a little bit of stubbornness in me too. But she does not learn how to control herself, and when she doesn't get her way, sometimes... Dear Lord, have mercy. But when my, you know, my 19-year-old, he's a freshman in college. He's learning about life on his own. He has some self-control. Thank God. <laughs> you know? But he learned that as a process. A process, right? So you're in a process. But I just want to encourage you that we are all on the road to becoming mature sons. Some of us will get there more quickly than others, depending on whether we stick around in our soulish nature or whether we step over here and respond with our spirit, because that's what it says. That's what the word of God says. The mature children, that's who we want to be. That's why that's our goal is mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit, not those who scream at their 14 year old daughters. Daughter for not being ready on time. <laughs> you guys, I'm speaking to myself, and I hope that you could grab a hold of something. It's time we die to our souls and we die to this junk that's holding us back because God has jobs for us. And I don't want him raising up someone for you to do your job. And I don't want him raising up someone for me to do my job. Let's get our jobs done together. Amen. 
And when we do what he's called us to do, the deliverance, the, the provision, whatever, the breakthrough that we've been believing God for, I guarantee you it's going to come to pass when you step out of your soul and into your spirit and let God use you. I dare you. I challenge you to let God use you and see what he does for the person and for you. It happened over and over in his word. It will happen for you. It will happen for me. Not our will, but yours be done, God. Amen. So I'm finished. So why don't you just stand and I'm going to pray for you. And if you feel like you need personal prayer, I'm just going to pray, you know, a, a generic prayer for all of you. But if you feel like you really need minister to personally, please come forward. I'll be glad to pray for you. I know Pastor Virginia, Winona, Pastor Shelley, other prayer people will be more than honored to pr- Don't leave here without being ministered to you. Be ministered to. Because God didn't bring you here to leave the same. Amen? God, we love you. I thank you for these beautiful women. And I thank you, God, that you have created us in your image. I thank you, God, you have given us feelings and emotions, and they're wonderful, God. But I thank you that we are learning to control ourselves. We are learning to step out of our souls and into our spirit, God. That you have validated us from the very beginning of time. From the day you created Adam and Eve, you spoke validation. You spoke worthiness. You spoke greatness over our lives. And, Lord, we receive that word now. We pull it out of the spirit realm, and we attach it to ourselves and we say God has declared that we are good no other person will ever tell me otherwise God I just thank you Lord that you are going to speak a word to each of us and we are going to respond to that word and we're going to see how you work how you bring deliverance how you bring provision, how you, how you bring a breakthrough that we've been crying out for. God, I ask that you would just deliver us from ourselves, God. And we, we nail ourselves. We nail our soulish desires to the cross and we nail them there and we let them die there. And we say, God, let us live out of the spirit. Let us never be the same God, because we respond out of our spirit. We just thank you, Lord. I pray for every woman here and every member of her family, her children, her spouse, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that your hand of blessing is upon them, Lord, throughout this Christmas season. I'm asking you, Lord, to meet every single one of their needs. And I just thank you, God, for a beautiful evening in your presence, a beautiful evening with you, God. There's nothing greater than being in your presence. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.